we turn now to Ephesians chapter 4. And let's read together verses 11 to 16. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. You know, speaking as a, as a, as a parent, um, my children are all now out of infancy, out of toddler age, all up there. They're quickly approaching adulthood. And it has always been my hope, as well as Rosita's, that, that our children would grow up into being mature and responsible adults. You know, a, a carefree spirit, a, a childish enthusiasm, that can be a, a great quality in a young person. As long as it's coupled right, with, with the maturity needed to take on the many responsibilities of adulthood. If, if you have ever had to deal with an emotionally immature adult, you know what a great hindrance it can be. Let me just give you some ways that you can recognize when you're, when you're dealing with an adult who, who grew older but never really grew up. Hopefully you won't see too many of these in, your, in yourself. But an emotionally immature adult is easily angered. They don't react well if life doesn't turn out the way they think it should. If an outcome falls short of their expectation, well, they throw a tantrum, they shout, they swear, or they make a scene in, in many other ways. In addition, they may become combative or belligerent. Having a meltdown is the only way an emotionally immature person deals with frustration or disappointment. Another sign of emotional immaturity is a person's unwillingness or inability to take responsibility for their actions. Constantly cast themselves as the victim when recounting disagreements with others or when describing unpleasant events that involve them. They're unable to see how their own actions may have contributed to these circumstances. And they may even become defensive or antagonistic, antagonistic if, if others try to point out the part that they played in their own misfortune. Emotional immaturity is also evident in conversations. An emotionally immature person will, will find a way to steer every conversation to themselves. They'll ensure that regardless of how a conversation begins, it will be about them by the time it ends. They may also have a hard time listening authentically to others and showing genuine concern or empathy to them. Such concern and empathy, it comes from having an emotional awareness of others. And an emotionally immature person usually finds this concept difficult to grasp. Instead, they may focus more on talking than listening. Flawed thinking is also 
a sign of emotional immaturity. Uh, the emotionally immature person finds it difficult to think things through logically. They will often jump to conclusions hastily or misinterpret social cues. In addition, they have beliefs about themselves or the world that make it hard for them to see the error in their thinking. And, and this is because they rarely consider the possibility that their own thought process might need adjustment. They don't take seriously the perspectives of others and that may differ from their own. Now, as you're hearing these characteristics, you're perhaps thinking, you know, I think I've dealt with a few folks like this. They may be co-workers, they might be neighbors, they might be extended family members. But I can assure you that as difficult as it may be to deal with an emotionally immature adult, there is another type of immaturity that can be an even greater challenging, greater challenge, not just to you personally, but to an entire church. I'm talking about spiritual immaturity. When a person's lack of spiritual depth is coupled with a self-centered view of life, the result can be devastating. The unity of an entire church can be carelessly disrupted, even destroyed, instead of diligently preserved as God requires. No, no genuine Christian in their right mind would wish to damage the unity of God's church. See, but that's the problem with immaturity. An immature person either believes their issues are justified or they're blind to the damage that they're causing. So whether the consequences are intended or unintended, the damage done to a church can sometimes be irreparable. So it happens a lot in churches in the area of something like Christian liberties. When a, when a person is spiritually immature and their conscience remains biblically uninformed, they tend to be judgmental and legalistic, and they cause conflict in the church. It can also go the other way. Someone with a biblically informed conscience on a matter can, can still be immature as to how they practice their liberty. They, they can be unloving. They can not care about weaker brethren because, well, they want to practice their liberty. They have the freedom to do it, so they're going to do it. So what can you do to ensure that you will not kill, but keep the unity of the Spirit? Well, you can make every effort at growing towards spiritual maturity. That's the title of this sermon this morning, Growing Towards Spiritual Maturity. And the main point from our text this morning is the spiritual maturity of Christ's church depends on the spiritual growth of God's people. The spiritual maturity of Christ's church depends on the spiritual growth of God's people. I have two ways that I'd, I'd like you to apply what you hear this morning. You need to want the spiritual maturity God expects. And you need to work at the spiritual growth that you need. 
So why don't we take a moment here and pray that God will help us to do just that. Father, we recognize that without you drawing us to yourself, we would have never come to you in the first place. But now that you have rescued us from our own self-imposed darkness, Lord, we want to come into the light and keep pursuing the truth. We know that there are many things in our heart and in our world that can dissuade us and even distract us from such a good pursuit. We all know it would be a good thing to grow in greater depth of the knowledge of God, greater love of the person of Christ. Our own flesh, though, resists. And the world is constantly arranging itself to distract. And so we ask that as we hear your word this morning, that we will be sensitive to your Spirit's leading, and that you would create in us not just a greater desire to grow in spiritual maturity, but, but you would cause us to take that next step, that needed step, to form a plan to grow more mature in our, in our love for you and in our knowledge of you and our commitment to you. Would you help us this way? In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there's, there's so many funny and, and cute things that our children say and do when they're young and... These things give a parent a joy in the midst of, you know, all the work that it is to raise our children. You know, so after you've had one or two children, you begin to realize that you need to enjoy these moments because they are usually very fleeting. They will only say that funny phrase. They will only make that funny sound. They will only do that cute face for so long. Right. We may wish that they would always be that way, but the reality is is that, that many of the things that would make a one-year-old cute would be you know, really disturbing in a ten-year-old. Ten-year-old picking their nose, sucking on their toes. That's not cute. That's disgusting. And so when your children no longer give in to your request to be cute... Well, they're doing what comes natural. They're growing up. That's a good thing. Seeing evidence of, of increasing maturity it is especially good as, as they enter into their teen years to see your young man or your young lady becoming increasingly reliable and responsible. It usually means that you've been doing a pretty good job as a parent. And so the desire for maturity is actually a good indicator that your child is maturing in the right way. And the same is true for us spiritually. Just as the boy must become a man and the girl a woman, God says we all must become spiritual adults. And the desire for such spiritual maturity, it usually means that you are growing as the Lord intends. And so you can know that your growth in the Lord is as it should be, as it needs to be, when you firstly want the spiritual maturity that God expects. Do you want the spiritual maturity that God expects? Up to this point in the letter of Ephesians, Paul has been speaking of unity here as a given. As something that the church has and must maintain. 
All of God's people must hold in common what Paul points out here in verse 4, that there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The church possesses these seven great unities. And so Paul admonishes us in verse 3 to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And since this unity is of the Spirit of God, it is a good and needful thing. And God holds us responsible to maintain it. But it's entirely different in verse 13. Paul says that Christ gave gifted teachers to the church to equip the saints, to do the work of service and build up the body of Christ. And he says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and then of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So this unity that he's describing for us here is something to be attained. And this is the goal that God has for all of us. A maturity that also maintains and attains unity. God's goal for us is a maturity that maintains and attains unity. So the mature man here that Paul is speaking of, I would say this is a this is corporate. This is the whole church in view here. The church is a single organism. It's the body of Christ. And it's to grow up as any other living thing must grow. But at the same time, the church is made up of individual members. And this means that the church can only grow towards spiritual maturity as the individual members of the church. And as all believers do the work of ministry for the goal of building up the body of Christ, Paul is saying that body matures. In fact, a sign of immaturity is a body whose unity is suffering. When the members of the church do not share their spiritual gifts, do not serve out of love, or their, or their spiritual growth with the church is not shared, then the result is that the church is going to lack maturity. Some in the church will be left vulnerable to being led astray cleverly by false teachers. Or, or foolish joining on some bandwagon with, with other immature believers. How do you make someone want to grow up? Parents, how do you convince your teenager to, to take some initiative? To set higher goals other than just getting the next highest score on their game? How do you challenge them so that they will do hard things. The apparent comes alongside them, invites, insists, exhorts, models, all these kinds of things. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't work as well. In many cases, it seems, though, that God has made life the best motivator for growth. You know, it's tough to go places or to buy things when you have no money. And at some point the light dawns that a selfish life is an empty life. That it really is better to give than to receive. And, and hard work many times is its own reward. 
Right? You can say all those things, but sometimes life just has to be the one that teaches those things. And these are things that we've had to learn on our own in one way or another. And do you know what God calls those who refuse to learn these types of things? He calls them fools. And you can read all about them in the, in the difficult life that they lead in the book of Proverbs. See, God desires the same thing for us spiritually. He wants us to grow up. He wants us to pursue becoming spiritually mature men and women. He wants us to get off the couch. Put away the childish and the worldly distractions. Get busy accomplishing great things for his kingdom. Paul told the Corinthians, he says, When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. So which are you spiritually? Are you a child or an adult? Do you you have high expectations for yourself at work? Maybe it's pursuing another degree. Maybe it's getting a promotion. Maybe it's early retirement. You have high hopes for yourself at play. You want to travel across the country one day. Uh, You want to climb some mountain. You want to run the Boston Marathon. You have goals for your health. You want to lose 20 pounds. You want to eat healthy. Work out three times a week. Having such goals for yourself are helpful. They're good. But do you have similar goals for your spiritual growth as a Christian? How about reading through the entire Bible? How about reading a number of solid Christian books that are going to deepen your knowledge of God and challenge your faith? How about studying a certain area of theology? Or maybe heading up and organizing some ministry opportunity or memorizing some key sections of Scripture? How about regularly sharing the gospel or having regular hospitality in your home? How easy it is for us to invest so much time and energy into things that are temporal and forsake things that are eternal. Brothers, Paul says, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. You know, part of what defines a child is that, is that they don't think responsibly. Children don't understand what's important. And that's part of what it, it means to be a child, right? They would eat McDonald's every day without regard whatsoever for what it's doing to their body. They will talk to strangers. They will run into the street without looking. They will wear the same underwear for a week. And the Bible calls this Foolishness bound up in their heart. Adulthood is when you leave childish thinking and childish ways behind you and you start being responsible and pursuing worthwhile goals. But what's the consequence of not making it your priority to always be growing spiritually? You end up wasting some of the best years of your life. You miss out on growing to your full God-given potential. You never attempt things that would stretch you or grow you or strengthen you. And you end up weak in your faith and unprepared for how God would have used you. 
You like the freedom that such low expectations give you. But the truth is, is that you're robbing yourself of the greater joy that is only found in living your life for Christ without fear, shame, or regret. You know, this is what Paul chose to do. Turn over to the next book, Ephesians, Philippians, chapter 3. He said this, beginning in verse 8. He said, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection and and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect. I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Not even the Apostle Paul stopped. He kept pressing on. He kept Growing, He kept allowing himself to be stretched. Don't waste the one life that God has given you pursuing things that are destined to pass away. Leave spiritual childhood behind. Start wanting the spiritual maturity that your heavenly father expects. But wanting is just the beginning. It's, it's a necessary place to begin. But it's going to take some planning. It's going to take some prioritizing. Growing spiritually means that you won't do all the things that you used to do. Your kids may not be able to be in three different sports at the same time. You may be, you won't be able to keep up with all your favorite shows. You may not be able to afford eating out or as many frequent trips because You're buying more books. You're giving more to missions. If you decide to start growing in the Lord, your life is going to change. Wanting to grow spiritually is not enough. And you have to accept that most things that are worthwhile and profitable, they require effort and sacrifice. And so along with wanting the the spiritual maturity that God expects, you will also have to work at the spiritual growth you need. You need to work at the spiritual growth you need. You know, there's many passages, passages in Scripture that we, that we should look at to gain an understanding of the ways that God would have us to grow spiritually. Just in our passage here in Ephesians 4, Paul gives us five characteristics of those who are growing spiritually. You can know that you are maturing spiritually when you have an appetite for the truth, a desire to see Christ exalted, a growing level of discernment, a balance between truth and love, and an eagerness to contribute. So first, Paul says in verse 13, chapter 4, verse 13, 
He says that he gave gifted teachers to the church until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. So the person who is growing spiritually has, first of all, an appetite for the truth. He has an appetite for the truth. See, if if your children have been like ours have been, they have appetites, but not always for the things that make for good health. Not only is there a very large appetite for pizza... But there is a noticeable lack of appetite for vegetables. I have yet to hear the words, uh, no more pizza for me, Dad, or I won't have room for salad. Now, that being said, as some of our children have gotten older over the years, their appetites have matured right along with their age. Some Some are willing to try new things simply because I say, this is good, you should try it, and they do. Others, though, not quite as willing to risk their taste buds on things that don't seem appealing. This is true in every family. How is your appetite, though, for truth? Do you love God's Word to the point that you are taking it in on a regular basis? Or is it something like that appetite that you had as a kid for broccoli? You eat what you have to, and that's, that's really it. No more for me. Thank you. You know, it didn't matter what your parents said. It's good for you. You should eat it. It was green. And you only ate what you had to eat to get away from, to be excused from the dinner table. The time came, though, when your appetite began to change. Vegetables weren't so bad anymore. You started to have the appetite of an adult. Characteristic of one who is maturing spiritually is they have developed the appetite for the Word of God. And Paul says that someone who is a spiritual adult has developed an appetite for what he calls the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, faith usually refers to, you know, our subjective response to the Word of God and the gospel. But here, Paul is talking about the faith, which is doctrine, the theological content of Christianity. It's the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints, Jude says. Unity of the faith is what we as a church are to make, to attain to. It comes with the realization that we all have one faith in one person, the one Lord Jesus Christ. This phrase, the knowledge of the Son of God, it refers to the experiential knowledge of Jesus that you gain through your day-to-day fellowship with Christ. This was what Paul desired to know in Philippians 3, says that I may know Him. And the power of His resurrection. The fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. And this knowledge, it's gained as you you take in God's Word through preaching, through teaching, through reading, through study. But but it's not just knowledge that can be packed into your head. It is the application of that knowledge to your life. This is the knowledge that changes the way you live. See, God's truth is, it's first meant to be learned, and then it's meant to be lived. You can't live out truth you don't know, and you won't live out truth you don't believe. You'll never move out of spiritual childhood if you don't develop an appetite for the truth. So how do you develop this appetite? What work is involved? Well, first you ask God to give it to you. Here we are, we're reading every Sunday morning through Psalm 119. Did you know how amazing this psalm is? 
Every verse from Psalm 119 has a singular focus. Over and over, the psalmist prays that that God would would cause him to love and to cherish God's Word. Psalm 119.27 Make me understand the way of your precepts so I will meditate on your wonders. If you know that you need to to have a better appetite for God's Word, here's what you can do. If you're sitting there going, I need to have a better appetite for God's Word, I'm going to give you an application that you could begin today. Pray through Psalm 119. The entire psalm is actually an acrostic. It's, each section is a letter of the, of the Hebrew alphabet. Pray through a section of this, of, of this psalm each day. It amounts to about eight verses a day. And, and look at what it says and really ask God for what these verses are saying. Pray these verses into your soul. Meditate upon them. Ask God to make them true for you. Second, discipline yourself to read in the morning every day. Some of you work out every day. Some of you eat right every day. You have the self-control and the discipline to make sure that you're doing certain things right every day. Can you apply that same thing towards the Word of God? Yes, you can. You know, I would encourage you to read in the morning. You can read at other times of the day. But over the 30 plus years that I've been a Christian, I've seen that the best time for you to read the Word of God is in the morning. It even has a little bit of scriptural backing to that. In Psalm 143, David says, Let me hear your loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in you. Teach me the way in which I should walk, for to you I lift up my soul. Now, there's a lot of practical reasons why the morning, I would say, is probably the better time. It's when you're fresh, you're alert. Uh, The end of the day, uh, you're a little bit worn out emotionally and physically and all that. But at the beginning of the day, you've got everything in front of you. And what better thing to have preparing you for that day than than that reminder from God's Word, that communion with God through His Spirit as you're in His Word praying and, and so forth. So I would encourage you to develop and discipline yourself to read in the morning every day. And then thirdly, I encourage you to devote yourself to the same things as the first disciples of the Lord that we see in the beginning of the book of Acts. They continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So devote yourself to being there when the word is being taught, when the saints are fellowshipping, when communion, the breaking of bread, is being offered and to prayer. And this is going to require some work on your part. But I can assure you it will be worth it. It will develop for you an appetite for truth. Now, one common characteristic characteristic of adolescence is an inordinate focus on self, right? That we talked about the emotionally immature adult, and one of those things is a very self-focus. You know, we can all relate, right? From a teenager's point of view, the, the world really does revolve around them. I know I'm being hard on you and young adults, but it's really just so I can use all these analogies. It's just, we were all there once, guys. If you're a teenager and like, man, he's really coming down to us, we were there once. We've, we've, we've grown up, and there's more going to be due to, to happen for you if you're a teenager and some of these things are like, that's not true of me, and your parents are like, yes. You really do think the world revolves around you when you're a teenager. When the focus shifts off their own well-being and onto that of others, that's when you know that the teenager is becoming an adult and they're maturing. Our kids like... 
when we get super excited because we see these types of things in them, like, oh man, that's so awesome. I'm like, please, please just let me grow up. Don't make a big deal about it. We can't help it though. It's the very thing that we've been working for for the last 16, 17, 18 years. And when those things come without us dragging it out, it's like, let's pause and let's rejoice. Everybody get on their knees. We're going to pray together and thank the Lord for what's going on here. Right? And all the parents say, you know, but this can be, the same thing can be true for us in our lives as Christians. For example, when your prayers start to go beyond just your basic needs to the desire for Christ to be exalted, you can also know that you're maturing. The next characteristic of a person who's growing spiritually is they have a desire to see Christ exalted. They want to see the church grow to display the full character of Christ. And this is what Paul is referring to when he says that the level of maturity that we are to grow, it's to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. See, this is God's goal for the church. The way it works is that as the church is going about its business in the world, God is busy developing in one person an aspect of Christ in a particular way here and then another aspect of the character of Christ in a special way over there. And, and so then the entire church in every place is, is necessary then to manifest this full character of the Lord. We, we all need each other to be growing. No one person is in view here. It's the whole church. And that being said, each individual is working with the same goal in mind, that Christ's church would display the fullness of Christ. You desire to see Christ exalted through His church, through this church. Well, if you do, then, then you need to get equipped for the work of ministry. God gave teachers to this church for this very purpose. Avail yourself of them. God has raised up men and, and women who can disciple you and help you to learn how to walk with Christ. And this is what those who desire to see Christ exalted in His church do. They, they get equipped and then they serve. So a person who's growing spiritually is also one who has, thirdly, a growing level of discernment. A growing level of discernment. Look at verse 14. He says, As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. So he says, he begins verse 14, he says, As a result. So as a result of what? As a result of God's giving of gifted teachers to the church, God's people are protected from being deceived as if they were children. The children, they are wonderful. They are a delight to have in your life. But they do have some limitations, right? Two of those limitations are instability and naivete. Children are notoriously fickle. They will be interested in one thing for five minutes and then they change their minds and they focus on something else entirely. And then five minutes later, they're moving on to a third thing. That's just what it, part of what it means to be a child. But children can also be easily fooled, can't they? It's 
easy to deceive them because they're gullible and they, they lack experience. And part of our duty as parents is to educate them, to carefully guide them. It's not their fault that they are the way they are. It, it's part of what it means to be a child. However, it's not a good thing when those same characteristics hang on into adulthood. A gullible or a naive adult is weakened in their character and limited in their usefulness. And as Paul points out here, it's especially sad when when the same marks of immaturity hinder a Christian's spiritual growth. God doesn't want his people or his church to be so weakened and so unstable. The picture here is of being thrown around on, on waves on the sea, being thrown about into confusion. And just like children, too many, too many Christians can easily be confused in their thinking and can be easily influenced by others. And we should therefore want to grow and we should want to work at growing in discernment. And this is why Paul began by, by speaking of teaching gifts, right? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, right? It's not that these are the only gifts, right? They're not. But Paul lists others elsewhere. But here he, he lists these since they are the ways that a church is to grow out of spiritual infancy and into spiritual maturity. So we cannot afford to let our church be immature in the area of truth. The possibility of being carried along by the world's fads or or being led astray by false theology is all too possible. The only real cure is teaching, followed by teaching, and still more teaching. When When you know the truth, you're better able to identify lies. And each of us, therefore, we need to always be growing and seeking to grow in our spiritual discernment. And when that is true of you, you can know that you're growing as the Lord would have you. Children can also be known for either not telling the truth or not being loving. Rather than be this way, though, God would have you to learn to do both. He says, but speaking the truth in love, he says, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, verse 15. A person who is growing spiritually is also one who has a balance between truth and love. A balance between truth and love. There's there's something here that's not evident in our English translations. In the original text, the word truth, it's actually a participle. It's it's a verbal noun. We as we've mentioned before, participles are usually in the English in with the ing on the ending, right? So a more literal translation of what Paul is saying here, instead of speaking the truth in love, he's really saying truthing in love. And the combination, it means both speaking and living the truth in a loving manner. So between the two nouns, love is the main one here that that Paul is emphasizing. See, if you have truth without love, what do you have? You have a cold, bitter orthodoxy. Truth remains, but it, it, it is proclaimed in such an unpleasant and harsh manner that it really fails to win anybody. You know, I spoke, I've, I've spoken with pastors, right, when they have had those ambitious 
young seminary students come into their church and many times they cause a flurry of problems. Right? Um, They have to be right about every single jot and tittle of Scripture to the degree that, well, then i got to separate over even the littlest of things. There are no gray areas. Godly men can't dis- disagree on anything. You know, there, were, there really were no less clear issues in Scripture. Everything is black and white. While these people can certainly be students of Scripture and they can understand truth, they can still at the same time be spiritually immature and neglect the call to love and peace and unity. But see, instead of removing love, if you express love, love for God the Father, love for the Lord Jesus Christ, for the Scriptures, for one another, for the world, what then do you have? Right? If you remove love, you have what Paul is talking about here. You have truth tempered by love. It's a transparency that is wedded to love. Love with truth that enables individual believers to grow harmoniously with other members of the body and it results in the growth of the whole body. That's what we desire. Truth balanced with love. There's one last characteristic of the the person who is growing spiritually and it's an eagerness to contribute. An eagerness to to contribute. Look at verse 15. He says, We are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by whatever joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So Paul uses some words that, that sound like he's, he's like building a stone wall here. If we were to build such a wall today, we would use something like mortar. And then we would put the stones together and that would hold everything in place. But in Paul's day, though, with no mortar, the stones had to be cut and smoothed with an elaborate process so that they would fit exactly together. And the elaborate process they used to fit these stones together is nothing compared to what God does by his grace, carefully fitting people with one another in order to create inner unity that can allow them to grow together. You know, when we encounter someone who's difficult for us, we tend to think they need to go. But God is saying, but I brought them here for a reason. So that you would grow. That's hard to face sometimes, but it's a reality. God fits us together, doesn't he? Even the ones that we think we don't get along with. We don't see things the same way we do. God brought us together. He put us in the same church. To want them to go is perhaps cutting off one of the ways that God's going to grow you. And so we need to accept His sovereignty over the building of this church and all the people that He's put in. He's skillfully fitted each of us together. But not only that, He also unites us. And He holds us together, He says, by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. See, the spiritual growth in the body, it is caused by what comes, he, said, he says here, from what every joint supplying, by it supplying what it is meant to supply. He doesn't say most joints. He says every joint. See, the person who's growing spiritually understands the importance of their 
individual contribution to the whole. The unity of Christ's church is built and depends upon each joint's individual contribution. And therefore, they are eager to serve. They're eager to help. They're eager to minister. They're eager to fellowship. And they're eager to serve one another in love. And they use the measure of the gift that Christ gave them no more, no less. Do you know what pain is? According to Hippocrates, the 5th century Greek physician. What is pain? He observed with fascination the precise functions of the human body. He realized that good health proceeds when the various parts of the body function proportionately to one another. And pain occurs when one of the parts is in defect or excess or when it's isolated from the body. As, as believers grow spiritually and are, and are eager to, to, to contribute what God gave to them, that causes the body of Christ to then grow up and function properly. And when that doesn't happen, it's the spiritual equivalent of pain, physical pain. See, all of this growth, though, it comes from the head of the body. Christ is the source of our gifts. He's the source of our love that compels us to serve. He's the source of the grace that unites us together. He's the one who produces the love for your brothers and and your sisters in Christ so that you will do all that you can do to help them and serve them with a motive of love. Now, I'm confident that nobody here, as a professing believer in Christ, wishes to harm the unity of Christ's church. But unless we are committed to our own growth towards spiritual maturity, we may be doing this very thing. Do you have an appetite for the truth? Do you desire to see Christ exalted in His church? Are you protecting yourself and your church by growing your discernment of truth and error? Are you learning how to balance truth with love? Are you eager to contribute your gift and your love to help meet the needs in the church so that the body won't be hindered in any way? See, the spiritual maturity of Christ's church depends on the spiritual growth of God's people. Let's pray. Lord, we commit to you our hearing of this sermon today, and we know that there are many ways to apply what we have heard. And so, I ask that it would not be my appeals, or it would not be the needs simply because they exist, but it would be a love for you, a love for your word, a love for your people, a love for your glory that would compel us to do what we haven't been doing, to do more of what we need to do, to stretch ourselves beyond even what we are comfortable with, so that our church would grow in spiritual maturity and be protected from the dangers of immaturity. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.